Welcome to the Church of the Redeemers Weekly Podcast. We pray that you will enjoy this week's service, and we hope that you will follow us at www.cotrb.org, and may God continue to bless you. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. You are the risen king. Amen, somebody. Man, I don't know about you, but my soul has already been blessed today. Thank you, our worship leader. Thank you, our minister of music. Thank you, the congregation, both on Facebook and the conference call. I know we're going to have an awesome worship experience today. Somebody ought to say amen. Amen. I tell you, I thank God for the Holy Week. And I thank God for today. Let us go ahead and get to this word. Giving glory to God the Father, my creator. Giving glory to God the Son, my redeemer. Giving glory to God, the Holy Spirit, my sustainer. As I stand behind this sacred desk this morning, I need to let you know I already feel my help. Thank God. Thank God. I don't want to hold you too long. I just want to preach until I'm finished. Is that all right? Is that all right? And if you would, if you would turn to 1 Corinthians, and I really want to give God the credit for this word. I really wanted to go to the Gospels, but God, every time I went to the Gospel, it just wasn't working, and he kept bringing me back to 1 Corinthians, and he was taking me to one particular chapter, and I think you know the chapter, chapter 15. I went there, I read the pericope he gave me, you know what I said, how am I going to preach this? I don't see nothing in this text. I went back to the gospel, (laughs) and it wasn't where I wanted to be, and God took me back to chapter 15. He took me a little further down. My Bible students are familiar with chapter 15. At the beginning of 15 is the gospel, but he took me down a little further, and he said, I want you to go to verse 12, and I want you to stop. At verse number 20, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12 to verse 20, you'll find these words recorded. I'm reading the King James Version. I feel a little traditional today. I hope that's all right. Verse 12, now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead. How say some of you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is also in vain. Yeah, and we also found false witnesses of God 
because we have testified of God that he raised Christ up, in whom he raised not up, if be so, that the dead is not risen. For if the dead is not risen, then Christ is not raised. And if Christ not be raised, your faith is in vain. Yea, yet in your sins, then also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are all men most miserable. Verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead and become the first fruit of all men. Want to talk this morning? Want to teach a little bit this morning? And I might even preach a little bit this morning. And I want to deal with the subject the resurrection still matters. The resurrection still matters. Now, I'm not sure if you've ever renovated a house or if you've ever watched maybe some of those uh, home improvement shows on TV, shows like the Property Brothers, This Old House, and then my favorite one is Homes on Homes. You, you see the, the show, The Property Brothers, it's a show about twin brothers, Jonathan and Drew Scott. And their aim is to help couples find fixer-uppers and then transform them into their dream homes. Somebody ought to say he's preaching already. See, I, I, I don't know your story, but I know when God found me, I was a fixer-upper, and it wasn't until I met Jesus that he transformed my life into something beautiful. We serve a God that transforms sinners into saints. Then, then there's the show, This, this Old House. Uh, this, this show, it, it, it follows a particular house over a series of episodes. And what it shows is the process of becoming completely renovated. I, I don't know about you, but my Bible says that he who has begun a good work in you will continue to perform it till the day of Christ Jesus. That means it's a process. You see, the good news is that God promised that though the renovation might be painful, tell your neighbor that it's working for my good. Then there's, there's the show, Homes on Homes. I, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's, it's, it's my favorite. Uh, uh, Mike Holmes is a, a contractor. And, and Mike Holmes rescues homeowners that their renovations have turned into disaster because they used a bad contractor. I think somebody see where I'm going. See, we had a previous contractor. His name was Satan. 
And with that previous contractor, he just took our lives to disaster. And it wasn't until Jesus came and rescued us. Somebody ought to say amen. Now, I I, got to let you know that through watching these types of shows, I have come to learn the importance of a load-bearing wall and why a load-bearing wall matters. You see, the reason that a load-bearing wall matters is because it's the load-bearing wall that holds everything up. You see, if you get in your mind, you want to follow the world and have an open concept, and you destroy the load-bearing wall of your house, everything will collapse. You see, the foundation and the structure of the house depends on the load-bearing wall. Therefore, the load-bearing wall matters. Christianity. Christianity has its own load-bearing wall. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Meaning that it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ that holds up everything about the Christian faith. You see, if the resurrection happens to not be true or false, then everything we believe collapses. The resurrection of Jesus Christ matters because it's the lifeblood of our Christian faith. Just as the load-bearing wall matters in resurrections, the resurrection matters to the Christian faith. Why is it important to talk about the resurrection still matters? Because there are those that think that Resurrection Sunday is about a bunny and don't realize it's about a lamb. There are those that think this is a day for Easter egg hunt and not realize and recognize it's a day not about eggs, but a day about souls. There are those that think this is a day that you get dressed in your Sunday best and not realize that it's a day that we're able to dress in the righteousness of God through Christ. The resurrection still matters. It is not just a day that is on the Christian calendar, but the resurrection still matters. This morning in our text, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. It was a church that Paul planted, and it was a church where Paul stayed for two years, and Paul labored with great success. You see, the church at Corinth, it was a great church, but it also had many issues, and it was because of their issues that it caused Paul 
to write this letter. You see, Paul had to address their issue because they at the church of Corinth, they had their favorite preachers. And not only did they boast about their favorite preachers, but they would brag about the preacher that baptized them. And it was through their boasting and bragging that they caused division in the church. Not only that, they had the issue of sexual immorality. And Paul puts it this way in chapter 5. Paul says it is commonly reported. You know what that means. Word in the street is that y'all are practicing fornication amongst all of y'all in the church. Then we get to chapter 11. And in chapter 11, they had the issue where they would have this thing called the love feast. In other words, it shows you how man will always add traditions to what God has instituted. For the love feast was before communion. And they would come to the love feast and they would get good and drunk. Good and drunk. I'm talking about in the church before they would come to the Holy Communion table, which forces Paul to write, if you feel the need to drink, then you ought to drink at home. But don't come to the Lord's table in a drunken stupor. Then, and I'm trying to get to 15. They had a lot of issues. Another issue that they had, this church, the Corinthian church, it was a church that was gifted. It was a church that all of the gifts were in the church, but they abused the gifts that God gave them. In fact, there was one particular gift that they really abused. And in chapter 14, Paul begins to write about the gift of the tongues and their abuse. But the biggest issue, the biggest debate at the church of Corinthians was the debate or the issue about the resurrection. Yes, you see, this church was made up of mostly Gentiles, and they were heavily influenced with Greek philosophy. For many of them ascribed to the Greek philosophy about the afterlife. And because they subscribed to the afterlife, they all denied the resurrection. To put it plainly, they just didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. But I love how Paul puts it in verse 20. Paul says, get it straight. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. If you notice, there are 57 verses in chapter 15. I don't have time to unpack them all. But Paul takes his time to deal with the illogic of their argument. Paul begins to take the pen. And in verse number 12, and I hope you ain't close your Bible, 
Paul says to them, now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how is it that some among y'all in the church say there is no resurrection of the dead? Paul is beginning to deal with the fact that they don't believe the resurrection matters. Notice, notice if you will, in essence, what Paul is saying in the remaining verses of our pericope, Paul is saying, if you have a minute, let me just share with you why the resurrection still matters. Verse 13, Paul says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is in vain, and also your faith is in vain. My first point this morning, Paul says, the first reason the resurrection still matters is that it provides proof that our faith is not in vain. In other words, if Christ is not risen, then our faith is futile. Our faith is useless. Our faith is wishful thinking. Basically, they're saying there is no substance to our faith. Now, you and I both know that there comes moments in life where faith is all we have that continues to hold us together. There are moments in life when the odds are against us. Moments in life where the prognosis is not good. Moments in life where we have no one else to call on. We will all at one point or another reach the point in life where the only thing that will keep us sane, the only thing that will help us get up in the morning. The only thing that will stop us from losing our mind is our faith that God is still able to make a way out of no way. Is there anybody who's ever been in a place where faith is all you have? Faith that our God would hear your prayer. Faith that the Lord would make a way. You see, the resurrection of Jesus puts evidence to our faith that our God is able. No matter what you face, God is able. No matter how dark the night, God is able. No matter how long it's been, God is able. No matter how you feel, God is able. Our faith is not in vain. If God can raise Jesus, surely God can work everything for our good. Our faith, not in vain. My first point, the resurrection still matters because it proves our faith 
It's not in vain. Secondly, it proves our fears are not valid. In other words, and I know this is not proper English. I want you to know I am educated, but I got to say it this way. Because Christ is risen, you ain't got any reason to be afraid. Because Christ is risen, you ought to know deep down in your soul that everything is going to be all right. I often wonder how saints can serve a risen Christ and still be scared. I, I, I don't know how saints can serve a risen and resurrected Christ and still be wimpy, weak Christians, still living in fear. I know it's a pandemic going on, but God in his word says it's all under my feet. God in his word has given us a blessed assurance that everything is going to be all right. The reason we don't have to be scared is because death has been defeated. Paul, later in this chapter, Paul argues that Christ in the resurrection has put all enemies under his feet and that God is neither stopped nor slowed by the presence of death. He says, when you see death, God didn't make a mistake. When you see death, don't ever think God is no longer in control. When you see death, don't ever think that God's hands are tied. When you see death, don't think that our God is still not on the throne. Paul begins to tell them that our God works with death and through death. Can I, can I take you back 45 plus years ago? Can I take you back? And I apologize to the younger folks, but I'm sure you may have heard it. But I want to I wanna take you back to April 30th, 1974. Dig might wake up on this one. The night, the night was arguably the greatest sporting event of the 20th century. It was the heavyweight championship battle. Do I have any boxing fans in the house? Between George Foreman and Muhammad Ali. Some of y'all may recall that the fight didn't happen in Las Vegas, but it happened in Kenosha, Zaire, and it was marketed as the rumble in the jungle. I hear somebody. And it was hyped up that way because in 1967, 
Muhammad Ali lost the heavyweight title was taken from him because he refused to go to war and fight in Vietnam. In 1968, a young George Foreman just won the heavyweight gold medal in the Olympics. And George went on to put a beating on our Philadelphia legend, Joe Frazier, to win the title. Now, in this fight, for the first time, Ali was not the favorite to win. And here's why. George Foreman was seven years younger. Not only that, George Foreman was much bigger and much stronger. Most people were scared for Ali. They said, if George catch him real good, it might be over for Ali. Not only would he go down, he might get hurt real, real bad. Ali, in the fight, introduced a fighting tactic that had never been seen before. Amen. And it was called, amen, you with me? It was called the rope-a-dope. And the rope-a-dope was real simple. Ali would ball up in a shell and lean against the ropes. And he would let Big George just swing on him, swing on him, swing on him. Ali would just look at him and say, is that all you got? Is that all you got? By the eighth round, Big George then swung himself and became tired. Ali in Ali fashion seized the moment and began to dance and jab on him. And Big George went down four times in the eighth round. And Ali won by a TKO. Now here's what is strange about the fight. You see, there was never a rematch. In other words, usually as a champ, when you lose, you usually get a rematch. Some years later, Ali was asked, why didn't you give George a rematch? Ali, in his style, in his swagger, Ali said it this way. He said, I beat him so bad the first time that there was no need to fight him again. You missed it. Let me take you back to Calvary. On Calvary, death was the heavyweight champ. And the champ lost to Jesus on a hill far away. For when Jesus rose from the dead, God declared that I beat death so bad that I never have to fight death again. Because Christ is risen from the grave. Death has conquered mankind's greatest enemy. Paul writes, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? God declared, death is defeated once and for all. Amen. Yeah.
Paul says, the resurrection still matters. It's still important because my faith is not in vain. My fears are not valid. But finally, he says, my forgiveness is not void. Somebody ought to be shouting right there. I'll say it again. My forgiveness is not void. Paul, Paul continues to write. Paul says, here is the startling and shocking and disturbing consequences Paul lays out. Paul says, if Christ had not been risen, then our debt has not been paid. Paul says, if Christ had not been risen, then we're still in our sins. If Christ had not been risen, then we're still in a position of no forgiveness for our faults and our failures. Paul says if Christ is still dead, then he died as a common criminal. Paul says if Christ is still dead, then you and I are still in our sins. But the preacher would always have a Holy Ghost conjunction. And the preacher would always say, but since Christ lives, my sins have been washed away. Since Christ lives, my name has been changed. Since Jesus rose, I'm a new creation. Since Jesus lives, my sins have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And I'm forgiven. Yes. Woo. I, I want to I wanna close this way if I could. I got a preacher friend named Howard. And Howard would, would, would share with us a story about his favorite cousin named Charles. And, and, and Howard is from the north. And in those days when you were from the north, they would send you down south for the summers to spend with your family. Somebody know what I'm talking about. And Howard would say when he would go down south, he would have to stay with his Aunt Gertrude. And that his Aunt Gertrude didn't have a child-friendly house. In other words, her living room was a living room that had white carpet, white furniture with the plastic on it. The type of living room where children weren't allowed to go in that room. Her house wasn't child friendly. And Gertrude, the Aunt Gertrude, would have all of these glass statues around. And he said one day it was raining, so they couldn't play outside. So they came inside and was playing ball inside. One of the cousins threw the ball. 
Howard missed the ball and knocked the glass statue over. And all you heard was a And you can imagine what they thought. They tried their best to glue it back together. But what they made the mistake of putting the remaining pieces in the trash can. So when Aunt Gertrude came home, she really didn't notice the statue. But when she got to the trash can, she knew what happened. Aunt Gertrude said, tell me what happened. You know the kids. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Aunt Gertrude went upstairs, and she must have grabbed the biggest, thickest belt that she had. Aunt Gertrude said, somebody got to pay. Now, I want to know who did it. All of them. Wasn't me. Wasn't me. Gertrude said, all right, somebody got to pay. I want to know who it is. Wasn't me. Wasn't me. She said, all right, line up. All of y'all about to get it because somebody has got to pay. Howard said, he knew it was him. Aunt Gertrude said, uh, give me Howard first. He's the youngest. He'll break first. <laughs> but he said his cousin Charles stepped up and said, hold up. It was me. And he said, Aunt Gertrude went to whipping, whipping, whipping. And he said all he could do was watch. And when I Gertrude got finished, Charles looked him in the eye. Charles said, you owe me. You didn't get it. See, in a garden back in Eden, sin came into the world. God said, somebody got to pay. Adam said, it wasn't me. It was the woman you put here. The woman said, hey, it wasn't me. It was the serpent. God said, I don't care. All of y'all got to pay. Mankind got to pay. But in heaven, the Son of God wrapped himself in human flesh, came down. 42 generations and said, I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take it. So Jesus says to us today, you owe me. You owe me. You owe me. You owe me. You owe me, you owe me some praise. You owe me some praise. Somebody ought to say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Shout the name. Jesus. 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 Yes. 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 We owe 
some praise. Yes, we do. Every day, we ought to lift up the name. Every day, we ought to give him hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Yeah. We owe him. The resurrection still matters. The resurrection, it still matters. You see, Jesus went in the tomb dead and he came out alive, which simply means we can come into church dead, but we ought to leave here alive. Yes, we can come here with no hope, but we ought to leave here Having hope, yes, thank God, our faith is not in vain. Thank God, our fears are not valid. Thank God, our forgiveness is not void. God bless you. The resurrection still matters as we stand on our feet and we open up the doors of the church. We thank God that there's an empty tomb. We thank God that he lives. He lives. He lives. If you ask me how I know, because he lives in our hearts. He lives. Our first call is a call of salvation. You may be watching. You may be listening. And you know Jesus lives, but you don't feel him in your heart. You don't have that excitement. And you're not sure if heaven is going to be your home. We extend to you today the opportunity to accept Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, to allow Jesus to live in your heart, allow Jesus to open doors and make ways. Is there one among us that is watching? If you wouldn't mind putting something in the chat and we will respond back to you. Today is the day of salvation. This is the day that tomorrow, and as Reverend said, the rest of today can be different. Give God your heart and your hand. Is there one in need of a Savior? If that's the case, then repeat after me. I believe that Jesus died for my sin. I believe that God raised him on the third day. If you've repeated that, that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, and you believe God raised Jesus from the dead, the Bible says that you are saved. But don't stop there. Get connected with the Bible-believing, Bible-teaching, Bible-fellowshipping church. Grow in your discipleship. Is there one for the first call? Our second call today, Resurrection Sunday, 
is a call of restoration. You may have somehow through this virtual church found yourself disconnected from the fellowship of believers and you need to be connected. I got good news. We serve a God that promised never to leave us nor forsake us. It's us that leaves God. God never leaves us. If you need to be reconnected, now is the opportunity. Today is a perfect day to get reconnected and allow the spirit of the living God to live inside of you, to regenerate you, to empower you, to run on and see what the end is going to be. Is there one? Just paid it all. all to him I owe. Oh, sin has left the crimson stain. He washed as white as snow.